As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. In this interview, I'm talking with Mamie Camphor-Stewart, the founder of Meteor, and she is a meeting expert. And I know this is something that a lot of us spend hours and hours a week in, is is sitting in meetings and participating in meetings. And so we're going to dig into how to really make the most out of them, how to make sure the meetings we're having are worth having, and a lot of the do's and don'ts around a productive meeting. Welcome to Rocketship.fm podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So Mamie, you started in the productivity space a couple years ago. What led you down that path? Well, um, thank you for having me. I'm just really excited to be talking about productivity in general. 
Um, I started my business a couple of years ago because I come from a family business, Gojo, which are big claim to fame is where the inventor of Purell hand sanitizer. And uh, Gojo has a very particular culture and how they do their work. And it is highly process oriented, which gives them um, really kind of like a high productivity, high engagement culture. And the ways of working at Gojo, we discovered were kind of good practices for other companies to use. So my first kind of path on entrepreneurship here was to take some of the ways of working at Gojo and turn them into technology tools that other companies could follow. So I started with a tool called the Charter, which is a project strategy tool. It basically, before you get into all of the like project planning, task management, like milestone setting, resource allocation, the first thing you should do with a project is really think about how does this project connect to the bigger picture of the company? Uh, what are some of the watch outs that you should pay attention for? And if something is going wrong, catch it early. What are the assumptions we're making that if turned out to be false would really kill this project? So it's a way to kind of do the strategy side of the thinking for a project before you get into the action planning. Um, and at Gojo, almost every project starts with this kind of charter process uh, to get good buy-in and the best thinking in the room. So I built a tool like that. Uh, this is one of the best tools you can use, and there didn't seem to be anything like it on the market. But over the course of 18 months from building a really skinny MVP, I didn't know anything about technology, found someone to help me kind of get the ball rolling, get some early customers, get some feedback. What I discovered was that it felt like a lot of work to do for every project. And without somebody who was trained in this process of facilitating through a kind of strategic thinking kind of uh, mode, it, it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was really going to work as a tech pure product. Uh, so I started talking to consultants thinking maybe there, this was a tool that consultants would use to work with their clients and that they would facilitate them through this kind of chartering process. They would teach them how to use the tool and then they would kind of sell them the tool and have some kind of shared revenue with us. Uh, so I talked to a whole bunch of consultants and they all said, oh my gosh, I can totally see why this is helpful, but it's not how I work. It's not what I bring to my clients. I don't use technology this way. And one consultant said, you know, this little meeting thing that you have in here, like that's really interesting. Like my clients have such terrible meetings that just having an agenda and taking notes afterwards would like change their lives. And we had built this very tiny, skinny meeting tool as part of the charter process because once you charter a project, you have to manage it. So there's tasks and there's meetings and all the pieces that go with project management. And we didn't really think it was going to be such a big deal, but it sent me down this path of learning about meetings. And what I discovered was... It's, I would say it's probably the biggest single productivity problem in business today. Because when you look at the research, which has been done by a couple of different companies, on average, 30% of the meetings we attend are a waste of time. Um, we have meetings upon meetings where you're running from meeting to meeting and you don't have time to do your work. And so you end up having to work extra hours or things just don't get done. We're inviting to meetings that we shouldn't be at. It's such a huge time suck and it extends beyond just the lack of time we have, but it really drains your energy as a person. It just makes your workplace not so much fun to be in. Like they're really a huge problem that impacts so many aspects of business from productivity to culture um, and results and beyond. Totally. So, uh, and, and there's a couple aspects in there that, that I want to dig into. One of them is that we get over-programmed with meetings so you can spend your entire day going from one to the next and you've actually done nothing 
with your day. Um, but, but in just the meeting alone, what I'm curious about is why are so many of them a waste of time? Like, what is it about the way we're doing them that is, um, either inefficient or maybe we shouldn't be meeting on that thing at all? Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because one of the, my favorite things about Meteor and our, our business was that the solution is not rocket science, right? People know you should have an agenda, right? People know that you should facilitate the conversation and stay on topic. But for some reason, most meetings don't do that. Like we don't plan an agenda ahead of time. Maybe there's an agenda that kind of emerges in the beginning of the conversation, uh, even if we do have an agenda, we don't use it during the meeting to keep ourselves on track. Um, and we don't take any notes so that afterwards it's super unclear as to kind of what the outcomes are. So if I, I like to say there's like this infamous we, okay, so we should do this or let's get on that. And that, that basically means nobody. So our, the conversations that we're having aren't leading to some particular outcomes and the outcomes are really unclear and then they kind of dissipate. So even if the meeting conversation was really good and rich, if there isn't clear outcomes, then after the meeting, it's kind of like, well, why do you even have that meeting if, if nothing's going to happen from that conversation? So there's so many different pieces to it from planning effectively to managing the conversation to making sure the outcomes kind of get put into action. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So is a big part of um, the process that you've kind of designed into Meteor about preparation and follow-up? Yes, we see meetings as having kind of three phases, so before, during, and after. And the before phase is really about planning a thoughtful agenda. And an agenda is more than a list of topics to discuss, right? It starts with, kind of what is the outcome of this meeting that we're trying to achieve? It could be a decision that's made, um, a list of particular next steps, um, some alignment on information or kind of shared agreement about the kind of the results of some study or some research that we've done, kind of the, what, what does this all mean for us? But the outcome is not a discussion. The outcome is not to review these materials. So we're getting really, really crisp first on what is the outcome you want to achieve before you get into now, how are we going to achieve that outcome? Well, we're going to review this material. We're going to have a discussion. We're going to ask these questions. So the planning phase is really about articulating why are we having this meeting? What are we going to do during the meeting? Who should be in this meeting? So you have the right people in the room to do that work because sometimes you find you didn't actually invite the right people or you invited people who shouldn't be there. So you want to make sure you have the right people um, and then assign them some pre-work. What can people do ahead of the meeting? So when they walk in the door and sit down, you're all kind of on the same page and ready to go. The, the idea that meetings have to just start with the presentation of material is a, is a misnomer. And there's been research done where it kind of shows that if you have time to process information, you actually kind of come out into a place of having better thinking on it, mm -hmm. right? So if you give people that material ahead of time, then they can process it on their own time and they can come into the meeting having already started to think about it and be prepared to share. So we've built in all these practices into our tool in terms of meeting preparation. 
So if, if the, um, most effective way to have a meeting is in fact to do all this prep, spend a little time afterwards on action items and like really having, um, more of a holistic experience out of just, you know, showing up, listening, adding your two cents and walking away. Um, how many times a day can you really do that without being totally zapped? Yeah, that's a good question. That's one of the most common, uh, like pushbacks we get is like, Oh my gosh, it sounds like so much work. And it does take a little bit of work. Like writing an agenda is doing some deep thinking and putting it on paper. And it does take some time. Once you've done it a couple of times, it's, you know, maybe like 10 minutes if you're the meeting leader and you actually know what you're going to do. And I often say, if you can't come up with a good agenda in about 10 minutes, you probably shouldn't be having that meeting. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't, it's not like, uh, you know, every meeting is going to take forever to plan. Some take longer and some take shorter, of course, but the time saving on the outside is actually where you really make it up. Because at the end of the meeting, if you've taken good notes or you spend the last couple minutes of the meeting really clarifying out, okay, here are the next steps and who's going to be responsible for these. Then after the meeting, you don't have to then have another meeting to finish the conversation that didn't end. Right. Um, that's where a lot of the time saving comes is on the outside um, or kind of on the, the backside. Once the meeting has been really successful, you can have fewer meetings because the ones you have are really focused and clear. And do you have a point of view on like how long a meeting should be? Like at what point is, is there a point where like people just stop feeling engaged after 30 minutes or an hour? Yeah, it's, that's a really tough question. Um, I mean, there's so much out there about 20 minute meetings and meetings should never have more than 10 people or whatever it is. Our feeling at Meteor and my feeling personally is that a meeting should be as long as you need to get the work done. That doesn't mean you should have an hour meeting and jam a hundred topics into it. Like sometimes it's better to break it up and have smaller meetings, especially when the participants might be different people. So instead of having one meeting with a whole bunch of people where really, you know, Bob only needs to be there for the first 10 minutes and Jane only needs to be there for the last 10 minutes. Just break it up into a couple of smaller meetings. The problem with condensed, with, with having only 30 minute meetings is you have entry and exit times, right? So when you first get in, like you have to wait for people to show up, you have to get the technology set up. So you waste the first five minutes mm -hmm. getting started and then you kind of lose the last five minutes if you're doing a really good recap. So now you only actually have 20 minutes for conversation. So scoping the meeting length to fit the objective and the agenda that you have is really what you want to do. There's definitely a point at which if you're having meetings that are 90 minutes or two hours, they might just be too long and you're losing people. But there are some topics where you really do need that much time to dig into the deep complexity of the information. So rather than setting some arbitrary time limit, just you know think about clearly what is the agenda? How much time is it going to take us to, to move through this conversation and achieve the outcome we need? Mm -hmm. And then are there certain things that people tend to meet on all the time that um, you really shouldn't be spending time on? Like if a decision needs to be made as a group, that's a good reason to get together and have a meeting. Um, maybe if there's a brainstorm that needs to happen, that's a good reason to get together and kick some ideas around. But uh, are there a lot of discussions that you see people having over and over as a group that don't necessarily warrant a meeting? Yes. I mean, the, the number one answer is like any kind of standing staff meeting um, that just you meet once a week and you go over the same information. Those meetings, for the most part, don't need to happen because we have better ways of communicating than a meeting. Right? If you think about a meeting as being a real time 
gathering for communication, we now have really good tools for asynchronous gatherings of, and communication. So it could be a shared document. It could be a Slack channel. Um, but for one-way information sharing, the idea that everybody needs to be physically uh, kind of attending at the same time just doesn't really make sense. So we've seen companies like Basecamp in particular, uh, while I don't agree with all of their meeting practices, I do really think they've done a couple things really well. And one of them is to write things up into a document and share it out with people and allow people to ask questions and give feedback by sharing that document. Even a brainstorm sometimes makes more sense by uh, using a shared document. So for example, at Meteor, we do visual design work for our app and the designer will put it up onto Envision app and we all put ideas on there. What about if you, if you, you know, change this or add that, or how can I do this and that? And so we are just dumping all of the information, the questions, the comments, and we didn't need to be in the same room all at the same time. And you, you really can take advantage of technology to help you be more productive without all having to be together. Yeah. And it, even just with the last year and having everybody, everybody on Slack all the time, um, it totally changes the way that collaboration happens and chat happens. And I wouldn't necessarily say always for the better, it can be kind of invasive um, into your day, depending on how much you let it um, and, mm -hmm. and how many discussions you're a part of. But it, it does change the um, not only the need for more frequent meetings, but then the dynamic of those meetings, because everyone comes armed with more information than they may have had before. Yeah, we've written an article um, about how to optimize chat and meetings as two forms of communication because it's super overwhelming to have so many chat messages and kind of like sometimes you're trying to have a conversation, but it's interrupted by other conversations that are happening simultaneously in the same chat room and you kind of can't follow along and you're kind of like, did we make a decision on this or not? And it kind of feels like this endless like abyss of information that mm -hmm. didn't, didn't get anywhere. Um, but there's usually good information that's kind of buried in there where you can say, oh, you know what, this, this has gotten to a point where we actually do need to have a meeting about it. So I can use what was in the, the chat stream and pull that out and use it as either pre-work and kind of remind people like, hey, here's what we already said. So when you come into the room, let's not rehash what was already said. Mm -hmm. um, or you can use it to build your agenda and say, these are the open points that didn't get resolved before. So they can really go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. And it even with just a couple people, it's amazing how quickly stuff can get buried in there. Um, and so I think having that, that dynamic between chat and getting together to close the loops on a lot of things is going to be more of an art in the, in the coming years. Absolutely. The other piece of it is around meeting outcomes and conversation outcomes. So I don't really care if you make a decision by email or through a, a Slack chat or in a meeting. If a decision's made, it needs to be recorded and stored somewhere where everyone can access it. And so the people who need to know about that decision can be informed. So that's another place where there is um, kind of this coming together of different forms of communication to say, how do we make sure that the important outcomes of our conversations, regardless of what format they take, get stored and shared appropriately. And that's one of the things that Meteor is trying to focus on by having the way that you take notes in our system capture specifically decisions and then enable you to create a decision from within Slack or HipChat or somewhere else and send that decision into the Meteor database so that all of your project decisions get stored in one location. So if you're ever in that place, 
in a meeting where it's suddenly, didn't we already decide this? Or I thought we decided that. Now you can go to one place and find, oh, actually, here is the decision we made. And here's who was in that meeting. Or, oh, it came from a Slack channel that we can always go back and look in that Slack channel and find the conversation that led us here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and so do you find yourself with with a lot of this asynchronous communication, do you find yourself thinking more about optimizing for remote teams where people are kind of scattered around jumping in on things at different times, or are you focused more on teams that really are in the same physical space? We're a little bit kind of agnostic about the kind of team or the, the geographic dispersion. My team is spread across five different countries. So we deal with a kind of home-based team here in New York, as well as people kind of all over the world. So we're, we're kind of doing that ourselves internally. But a lot of the meeting practices, it doesn't really matter if you're in the same location or not. Like it's even actually more helpful if you're geographically dispersed to follow good meeting practices because it helps the people who are remote kind of stay in the meeting and know what's going on ahead of time and be able to fully um, kind of participate in a way that it's much harder when uh, like if you don't have anything to present during the meeting, it's not such a big deal if you're all in the same room because you're looking at each other and you're getting body language and you can quickly throw something up on the screen. But if you're remote, you're kind of missing all those visual cues. So having some materials to read ahead of time or something to look at on the screen, um, even, you know, video conferencing is helpful, but all the little tiny faces isn't great. So even having some materials to look at and follow along on shared notes that are happening or you'd be able to contribute your thoughts by typing into that, that Google Doc is really, really helpful. Interesting. So as you've gone through this over the past couple of years, I mean, you've obviously learned a lot about creating um, tools and environments for productive meetings. Have you seen um, or learned anything surprising from the way you see people doing things kind of the old way or coming up with new ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of? Oh, interesting. I mean, the thing that really surprised me was how few people uh, follow good meeting practices, even though we all know about them. And then also how few people are actually trained in running effective meetings. Um, I think that's probably actually the most surprising thing is that we spend so much of our time in meetings. For some managers, it's like eight to, or sorry, not eight, that's eight hours of unproductive meetings a week. But it's like somewhere like 50% of our time, you know, 20, 25 hours a week in meetings. And yet we're not trained on how to plan an agenda or how to facilitate a conversation and manage through conflict or ask facilitative questions or take notes that really crystallize out the outcomes. That was like a huge surprise to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, we, we spend so much time doing this and yet no one's educated on it. We're kind of expected to either learn it through osmosis, which is by being in the workforce, or maybe you read a book or maybe you have a team leader who's really good and, and kind of teaches you these, these things. But Everything yeah. else in our life, we do that much. Like you, you think we should be trained on this. So well, that, that's and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that most people who find themselves in management positions at startups these days started as a creator. You're developing something, you're designing something, and you kind of get promoted to that manager level because you're good at your job, but you didn't necessarily come from a management background. So um, I think that there's that like gap there where there's a skill set that... Um, no one really thinks about because it's just never been a part of your life before. 
Yeah. And, and I would add on that. I went to business school. I didn't learn how to run a meeting at business school. And that's all about management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really doesn't fit anywhere into our system for, you know, how to learn these skills that you need as a manager. And even being a good meeting participant, like there's some skills that you can learn and develop in being a good participant, but we're not taught those things. And when I look around in other companies, when I talk to people about their meetings, there's also lots of other stuff that's going on that gets into like, well, in our company, if you're not invited to a meeting, people think it's because like you're not important. And so then so you have to invite everybody so that you don't mm. offend anyone. So all this other psychological stuff starts to come out in meetings and meetings. And it's like, oh, well, because people aren't trained, meeting cultures kind of evolve and they become this like very complicated cultural system that has fears and ego and all this stuff that's that's built in. And I didn't really expect to see a lot of that either. That's really interesting. So for people who do want to actually learn about this and bring some of the skills to their team, where can they go to to find some of these resources? The best place is to check out our blog. It's blog.meteor.com and Meteor is M-E-E-T-E-O-R. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Meteor HQ. We post about um, all different kinds of meeting and team practices. And check out our, our app, of course, because one of the easiest things you can do is have a tool that helps you plan a thoughtful agenda and take good notes. So you don't always have to remember it on yourself of like, oh, what am I supposed to put on that agenda? Use a tool that actually tells you, here's what you should put on your agenda. Think about these questions. So check out our app at meteor.com too. That's great. And something that I think is so interesting about what you guys are doing, or I should say something that seems really challenging is that whenever you're getting trying to get someone to change their behavior, especially when it requires them to do a little bit of work, it's difficult. Um, so I, I admire what you guys are trying to do. Thank you. Actually, my second hire was an organizational behavioral psychologist because of that exact reason. Behavior change is really hard and productivity is all about behavior. So we think a lot about that here. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mamie, thank you so much for sharing with us. This was really eye-opening. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Bench. Bench is the easiest way to get your bookkeeping done. Go to bench.co forward slash rocket ship and get 20% off your first six months of bookkeeping. And by Todoist, Todoist makes managing your tasks simple and easy. So go to todoist.com forward slash redeem and use the code rocketship to get five premium accounts for your team free for an entire year. So if you're enjoying this series, go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a quick review. Five stars will do. That's just fine. If you'd like to see old episodes, go to rocketship.fm or just search them in the app that you're listening to this podcast. They're all there in our feed. We have over 250 previous episodes, including now the first four episodes of our productivity series. So you definitely don't want to miss those. So go check them out. Follow us on Twitter at rocketshipfm. You could follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman, and Mike Belsito at Belsito. We'll see you here in just a couple of days.